In just a second, Vance is going to come and begin our service with a reading of God's Word and prayer. I just want to take a minute to remind you to pick up a bulletin so you can stay informed. We've got a lot of things coming up here in the near future. Uh, right now, the big thing is Grace Marriage. We're doing sign-ups for that. And I just want to encourage all of you to, to sign up. If you're married, uh, this, is, this is a great program. Um, the idea behind it is just simply this. We need to invest intentionally in our marriage, and most of us don't do that. Most of us wait until there are problems, and we try to deal with the problems after they've been there for a long time, and we shouldn't do that, right? We, we ought to do preventative maintenance. You do that with your car. You, you change the oil. Uh, you do regular maintenance on your car to keep it up and running. You don't wait until the engine is blown. And then, and then get it repaired, right? Uh, same thing with our marriage. We need to invest intentionally in our marriage. There are different ways that you could do that. This isn't the only way that you can do that. But the reality is, for most of us, uh, if, we, if we just simply have good intentions, too often we don't follow through with them. Uh, so this is just a way to be committed to say, we're going to, on a quarterly basis, get together, and we're going to talk about our marriage. It's... It's not a lot of fun, I, I, and you're like, oh, wait, you're trying to sell this? Like, you got to get up on a Saturday and, and be here? Uh, it's, it's a little bit of work. I get that, and it's a sacrifice of your time. I get that, but it's an investment in your marriage, and your marriage is worth it. It's, it's the most important relationship that you have outside of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you need to invest in it. You need to talk to your spouse, and you need to be intentional about dealing with issues as they come up. So uh, sign up. There's a table. There are cards in the foyer. Uh, get one of those. Fill that out, and you can just leave it on that table or turn it into me, uh, and, and we'll get you signed up for that program. Our first meeting of that will, will be March 2nd. Uh, March 2nd will be the first meeting. So at this time, Vance, you go ahead and come and... Open us up with scripture this morning. All right, good morning. Y'all can turn with me to Psalm 115. Psalm 115. Glad to see everybody out. Beautiful sunshine. For you all that don't appreciate that, you obviously don't work swing shift. Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. 
The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth He has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Would you all please open with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank You. Lord, it's You that's given us this opportunity on this beautiful morning to gather among the saints. Lord, that You've called so many here together to, to fellowship, to service, to love. Lord, um, we ask that, that You bless us in this time. Lord, that, that we, can see, we can see true unity. Lord, that we would have the opportunities. Lord, that You would open our eyes to the needs of those who sit right here in our community at Union Baptist. Lord, that we could come to them, we can pray for them, that we can go to them throughout the week. Lord, that this, this Sunday, this message, this service, this praise, all of this would equip us and draw us out to do the work that You've intended. Lord, I pray that this morning, this psalm, this 115th psalm of David, Lord, that we would, this would be our song this morning. Lord, that our hearts would render praise to You, the only God, the God who sent His only Son, Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Let's have our ushers come forward at this time for our offering this morning. I think I saw in the paper this week that uh, Hancock County has some of the highest wages in the state. That's a blessing from God, and we need to remember as we think about that, uh, the, the reality is that God has given us those blessings, that the money that He's given us, He's given us to be stewards of. It doesn't belong to us, it belongs to Him. It's His blessing to us, uh, but we ought to use it for His glory. And so we pray that this morning. Lord, we come to You this morning, and we do pray that You would make us generous givers Givers, Lord, to the poor, to those who are in need. Givers to those who are giving their lives to take the gospel uh, where, where the gospel is not known. Uh, givers that the, the work of the ministry might continue here uh, in Hancock County at Union Baptist Church. God, help us not to take your blessings for granted and help us not be deceived into thinking that the things that we have belong to us. Help us... Uh, truly see ourselves as stewards of your good gifts to us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, our children can head out at this time with Abby. And if you would, while they're on their way out, go ahead and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 15. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there are a few Bibles in front of you. And I believe it's on page 919. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, 
but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We saw last week and thought primarily about those those first words there in verse number 15, Uh, look carefully then how you walk. And we saw that we are to live a careful life, and we saw that Paul gives three contrasts to explain what does that mean to live a careful life. The first one is, well, that means don't be unwise but wise, namely, make the best use of your time because the days are evil. So that's that's step one of living a wise life, making the best use of your time. We saw then that the second command, the second contrast is given, therefore do not be foolish in verse 17, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So if you want to live a careful life, make the best use of your time. Secondly, understand what the will of the Lord is for your life. And then thirdly, what we really want to focus on this morning is this third contrast, and that is this, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. You know, I think this morning one of the greatest needs of Christians in our day and time and of the church broadly, is for spirit-filled Christianity. Spirit-filled Christianity. We're going to describe what it means to be filled with the Spirit and how we pursue how, how we pursue being filled with the Spirit. But, but first, let me just say, it is the great need of the church. We need the power of God in the church today, and that comes as a result of being filled with the Spirit. Let me give you two reasons as I turn this microphone off one more time. Uh, let me give you two reasons why we need to be filled with the Spirit. First, we live in a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile to God and to His Word, and we need great boldness to proclaim the truth in that kind of climate. We need great boldness to proclaim the truth of the Gospel and the truth of God's Word in a climate that is increasingly becoming hostile to those very things. Listen, we cannot, as Christians, with the gospel, we cannot cower in the corner and be afraid to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The the command, the commission that we are given as the church to go into the nations and preach the gospel and make disciples, it doesn't stop because people don't want to hear it. It doesn't stop because, well, people aren't really, they're not really open to hear the gospel The command to preach the gospel and make disciples does not stop because the climate is not conducive to it. We need to be like Peter and John in the book of Acts when they were arrested and beaten and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus Christ. This is what it says about Peter and John. But Peter and John answered them, they answered them. They said, don't, don't speak in the name of Jesus Christ. And this was their response. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to, and, than to God, you've got to judge that. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, you've just commanded us not to speak in the name of Jesus Christ, not to preach the gospel, not to heal in the name of Jesus Christ. And you can judge 
whether it's right for us to listen to you or, or to God, you can make that call on as far as what you think is right. But we cannot help but speak the things we have heard. We need that kind of power in the church. We need the kind of power in our Christian life that doesn't cower and say, oh, the world doesn't want to hear the gospel. The, the world is not conducive uh, to hearing the word of God. And so we just need to be quiet with our faith. No, we need the spirit of God and we need to be filled with the spirit of God. The reason Peter and John could do that is because in Acts 1a, Jesus had commanded them that they would be clothed with power. They would be filled with the with power to carry out this commission when the spirit came upon them. He said, wait in Jerusalem until that happens. And when the spirit happens, when the spirit comes upon you, Peter, even though you used to cower in fear at a little girl because she said you were one of my followers and, and you denied me, now you're going to be full of power. And that's what happened to Peter. And that's the kind of power we need in the church today. We can't cower in, in the corner afraid to share the gospel, we neither can we be silent about issues of great moral and spiritual consequence in our society. We, we can't be silent about these things. When, when we look around and we see governors and states passing laws uh, that, that are endorsing wickedness, that are endorsing murder, we can't be silent about that. They want you to be quiet, but, but if you're a spirit-filled Christian, you're not going to be silent about that level of immorality. When we look around at, at our world and we see the materialism that is permeating our culture, if you're filled with the Spirit, you can't be silent about that. When we think about the sexual revolution and how people are embracing uh, a sexual ethic that is diametrically opposed to the Word of God, we can't be silent about that. We need to be filled with the Spirit in, in, in order that we might speak with boldness. You remember... And many of you might not have been here for that day. It was our snow day. I think we had about 40 people. Uh, but we looked at the passage here that talks about us being light in verse 11. And it says in verse 11 of chapter 5 in Ephesians, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them as light. We are to expose the darkness. And we need to be filled with the Spirit of God that we will have boldness to expose the darkness that is in our culture. We need to be like John the Baptist who preached and proclaimed what God's Word said even though it cost him his head. Right? When he said to, to, to Herod, you should not take your brother's wife. That's a sin. Right? He was bold to say that because he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he didn't back away from it. He didn't apologize. He didn't come back and say, you know what? Maybe I've readjusted. Maybe I, maybe I was a little careless with what I said. No, no, he persisted in saying that, right? And it cost him his head. We need that kind of boldness, even in the face of persecution. And we need the Holy Spirit to be that bold. Most of us are not bold in that way. Second, not only do we need boldness to proclaim his truth but we need to be filled with the spirit the the filling with the holy spirit is a great need for the church today because in the face of this greater darkness that we that we are facing in our culture we need to let our light shine even brighter with an authentically christian life that bears the fruit of the holy spirit we need an authentically christian life to go along with that bold proclamation because you know what is the most sickening thing in the world is to see people standing up and saying, 
This is immoral. This is wrong. All the while they're secretly in their sin over here. It's hypocritical and it's disgusting. And when the world sees that, they think, look, you are all just a bunch of hypocrites. I'm not going to listen to you about anything. When you're, when you're preaching about you know, the sanctity of marriage and, and then you're having a secret affair, preacher, like that doesn't add up. So why don't you just be quiet? Listen, if we're going to boldly proclaim the truth, we've got to make sure that we've got a holy life to go along with that bold proclamation. And so we need the Holy Spirit to do that. We must proclaim the truth in a way that is strangely inviting, right? Bold proclamation, usually when, when you declare that something's sin and you're bold and you're unwavering, it, it tends to drive people away. But there's something unique about speaking the truth in love. When we look to Jesus Christ, he was able to boldly proclaim the truth, but he did it in a way that was attractive to people. He did it in a way that didn't push people away and alienate. Sure, some were, but, but there were also people who were attracted to Jesus Christ because he spoke the truth in a way that was inviting, in a way that was gracious, in a way that was loving. So he could say to the woman at the well, look, woman at the well, you've, you've been married five times and that's wrong and now you're living with somebody and that's wrong too. That's sinful. And he could say that in a way that, that was strangely inviting to her so that, so that she would want to embrace Christ, so that she would want to be drawn to Christ. And we need to seek to speak the truth in love, we need to be able to exhibit, along with our bold proclamation, we need to be able to exhibit love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. And those are all works of the Spirit of God. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God that we might proclaim boldly God's truth to do it in a gracious, in a self-controlled, in a gentle way. Think about the prophets in, in the Old Testament and throughout the Bible, those who proclaimed truth. They always proclaimed truth in a way that was bold and yet in a way that was broken. Like they were saddened. It didn't bring them delight and joy to tell people how they were wrong or to tell people how God was bringing judgment on them. Sometimes I'm afraid that we as Christians, we almost get a strange delight out of condemning other people. And that's not what we should be doing. That's not the kind of motive that we should have. Jeremiah in Jeremiah 9.1 said, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I may weep day and night for the slain daughter of my peoples. Jeremiah proclaimed God's judgment is coming, but he also wept for the people. We think about Jesus and how he looked at Jerusalem. Jesus had words of condemnation and words of judgment for the people of Jerusalem, but he also wept as he overlooked Jerusalem. He expressed sadness and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you. Like a, like a mother gathers, a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings and, and you would not, you were not willing. There's the kind of tender compassion that a mother would have for her children that Jesus expresses. Paul could say in Romans 11 that the Jews had been for a time cut off from the people of God, but he would also say in that same passage that I could wish that I myself were accursed. If I could take their place, if I could stand condemned so that they could be made right with God, I would do it. That's the kind of compassion. Yes, Paul spoke with boldness. Yes, he called out sin. Yes, he, he brought the light to bear, but he did it in a way that showed compassion toward the people to whom he was speaking. 
We even think of God himself who says in Ezekiel 33 that he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It does not bring God delight. He does it because he's just. He does it because he's righteous and a good judge. But it does not bring him pleasure. It does not bring him delight. So we need to proclaim the truth. We need that power and that boldness that the Holy Spirit brings. But we also need the love and the grace and the self-control that the Spirit can bring as well, the gentleness of the Spirit. So one of the greatest needs of the church then, I think, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let me say, I think there are a couple of errors when we talk about the Holy Spirit. There are a couple of errors that we can fall into when we begin to discuss the Holy Spirit and in particular being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I I try not to spend too much time on what being filled with the Spirit is not, uh, but we, we uh, w- want to focus on what it is. But let me just mention these and try to deal with them quickly. The first is to neglect the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I think for us Southern Baptists, that's probably the typical error that we fall into is just simply to ignore or not think about or not understand what the Spirit does in our lives. We know who God our Father is. We, we know who Jesus Christ is and what he's done in dying on the cross for our sins. But what does the Holy Spirit do? Who is he? What, sometimes I think we're like the people in Acts that say, I, I haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit, right? I think what if you were to ask most Southern Baptists, uh, they, they would say, I don't, I don't really understand what the Spirit does. I know he lives within us, but, but what is it that, that he does? So there's a great neglect that, uh, of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But the second problem, and one that I think we need to avoid as well, is to seek to experience the working of the Holy Spirit, but to do so in a confused way. So there are some people, some, some Christians, they're like, yeah, Holy Spirit is great. It's great, right? But we want to pursue the Holy Spirit. We want to see evidence of the Spirit of God in our life. And we want the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. But they pursue that in a way that is confused and, and doesn't understand really the working of the, the Spirit. They go about it in a careless uh, a careless and unbiblical way. And this is, I think, one of the, if I could just say, the central problem, the c- central confusion that happens, and that is this, that people misidentify the Spirit. They misidentify what the Spirit is and, and what He does. And this is the misidentification. I think often they misidentify emotion and emotionalism for the Holy Spirit, right? They, they just flatten those two things out and think Holy Spirit equals expression of emotion. So let me say three things, and again, I'm going to try to say these quickly. First, being filled with the Spirit does not mean expressing uncontrollable emotion. Being filled with the Spirit does not mean being uh, expressing uncontrollable emotion. You know, working yourself into an emotional frenzy or an ecstatic state. That has been around for millennia. People have been doing that where you can just shut off your mind and you give yourself over to emotion and you work yourself up and you can do that. People have been doing that in pagan religions for thousands of years. And and, and that is not what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Somehow there's an interplay between our emotions and our mind where we can just kind of shut down and let our emotions 
take take over and we can begin to do things that we would not ordinarily do and we can misidentify and say that's the working of the Holy Spirit. So people do all kinds of things like shouting and crying and laughing and jumping and shaking uncontrollably, even barking like a dog, passing out, uttering meaningless gibberish. And all of these things are supposed to be some kind of manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But that's not what the Holy Spirit does when we look to the New Testament. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's you shutting off your mind and giving yourself over to emotion. And anyone can do that at any point. You don't need the Spirit of God to do that. The Holy Spirit does not produce disengaged minds or out-of-control behavior. Read your Bibles. The Spirit does not does not produce disengaged minds or uncontrolled behavior. There's always a purpose for the work of the Spirit, right? There's always a point to it, right? What is the point of laughing uncontrollably or, or barking like, like a dog? How does that edify anyone? How does that build you up as a believer? How does that advance the kingdom of God? What does that do if you stand and you utter some some words that are unintelligible to you and to everybody else that nobody knows what you're saying, what does that do? It doesn't do anything. There's no profit there. No one is edified and the kingdom isn't advanced. Being filled with the Spirit and its accompanying boldness is given always for the good of others. It's given for the clear and bold articulation of the of gospel truth both to believers and to unbelievers. And it's not something that's given for your personal private enjoyment. Like this is some kind of thing that just gets you hyped up or something. That's not what the Spirit does in the New Testament. Okay? And I just challenge you to to read your Bible. Second, being filled with the Spirit involves our emotions. It It involves our emotions, but it isn't strictly emotional. Listen, listen to me this morning. Emotions are certainly part of worship. Right, The Bible talks about dancing, it talks about shouting, it talks about lifting your hands, it talks about praising God with a loud voice, there is joy that comes when the Holy Spirit comes, there is boldness that comes, emotions, God made us as as creatures who have emotions, and the Spirit does work on our emotions, worshiping God does involve in our, our emotions, we should not be, and some of us are, to the point where we shut off our emotions in worship. We're not moved by anything, and that's that's wrong. We should be moved to praise God and lift our voice and to raise our hands and to shout to the Lord. All of those things should be happening, but emotion does not necessarily equal Holy Spirit. The Spirit is not just an emotion maker. We can flatten out the work of the Spirit to simply being the thing that makes us emotional. We can even make it more narrow than that and say, well, the, the Spirit's the one that makes us excited or, or ecstatic. The, the Spirit may produce a shout, a, a desire to shout praise to the Lord and to dance. The Spirit may do that because the Spirit does move our emotions, absolutely. But He may also produce an unusual calm within your heart, a quiet peace in the face of of disaster. The Spirit works in various ways. Strong emotions, we need to understand, are not necessarily the work of the Spirit. Just because you're emotional, that does not mean the Spirit is working on you. Like, you can get emotional and excited and ecstatic about a whole 
lot of things, and you can even work yourself into that. Okay? So emotion does not necessarily equal uh, being filled with the Spirit. Third, and I'll try to be briefer with this, the, the command to be filled with the Spirit then, if, if being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean just being emotional, then being filled, the command to be filled with the Spirit does not mean, it is not a command that you are to open yourself up to expressive motion, emotions, right? In some churches, this is kind of the way it's presented, like, hey, get yourself ready. Prepare yourself. Just open yourself up. Just kind of loosen up and get ready for the Spirit of God to come. And when you just kind of put all that out, kind of let go a little bit, put down some of the, the uh, uh, what is it they, that they're called, the, the, the barriers that you put up, you know, trying to just loosen up, chill out, and just kind of let the Spirit. Because, right, we see what's going on there, right? The, to, to a lot of people, Spirit just equals emotion. And so to be filled with the Spirit, you just got to open yourself up to emotion, Right? The Spirit can come whether or not you open yourself up to emotion. Listen to this. Emotion, if it comes, if it comes, and sometimes it very often does through the working of the Spirit, but emotion, if it comes, comes as a result of the Spirit. The Spirit does not come as a result of you expressing emotion and being open to express emotion. Like, the Spirit doesn't wait for you. The Spirit's sovereign. When, when we see people in the New Testament being filled with the Spirit, they weren't getting all loosey-goosey and waiting for the Spirit to come. Like the Spirit was just coming on them. They were praying to God. Peter was just standing up preaching and they were filled with the Spirit sovereignly. Like So, so this isn't something that we just work ourselves into. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit then? Let me give you this definition. To be filled with the Spirit means to be fully yielded or surrendered to the Holy Spirit so that He is in control of your life. Not emotions. We're not saying let emotions control you. We're saying you yield over control of your mind and your heart and your life to a person, to the Holy Spirit, so that He's in control of you. And what we see in the New Testament is that this condition is often accompanied by a supernatural infusion of boldness to publicly declare truth concerning Christ. So you yield control to the Spirit. You yield your mind, your heart, your life to, to the control of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, in the New Testament, what we see is that often people who do that are infused at, in times of need with supernatural power to boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel. Now, let me just say, how do we get there? How, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I'm, I'm giving you uh, my definition here. Uh, is, is First, we want to look just at the meaning of the word. The, the word conveys, MacArthur says, the sense of domination or total control. Uh, each of the examples, he lists some examples, uses uh, uh, each of the uses reveals an emotion so overwhelming within the people that it dominated their thoughts and excluded every other emotion. So let me just give you some other ways that this word filled, or to be filled with the Spirit, let me give you some other uses so that you can see what that means. Uh, first, we see that sometimes people were filled with sorrow. So John 16, 6 Jesus says to the disciples after he's told them that he's going to uh, to be leaving them, he says, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your 
heart. What does that mean? It means that sorrow was so overwhelming within them that, that, it, that it kind of took control of them. They're filled with sorrow. We see in Acts 5 that Ananias and Sapphira had been filled with Satan or filled by Satan. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled? Why is he taking control of your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? So Satan had filled the heart of Ananias. He had taken control of it. Sometimes people were filled with joy in Acts 13.52. In fact, this often comes when people are filled with the Spirit. The disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Like we understand that, right? I'm filled with joy. I've got joy coming up out of me. Joy is, is taking over my life. It's, it's controlling me. It's the disposition of what's going on in my heart. And so that's what we're saying here. Listen, we're to be filled with the Spirit of God. Not just with an emotion, but with a person. The, the Spirit is not an emotion. It is a person. It's the third person of the Trinity. And we are to allow the Spirit of God to fill us, to take control. There's also an analogy. So not only do we understand the meaning by the word itself, but, but by an analogy. And that's the analogy in our text. Do you see that there? Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, why does he make that parallel there? He could have said all kinds of different things, other sins that he doesn't want you to do. Like he could say, hey, don't lie but be filled with the Spirit. Don't commit adultery, but be filled with the Spirit. But he doesn't say that. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why does he say that? I think he's saying that because there's, a, there's an analogy between the two things. What happens when you fill yourself with wine? You become drunk. You become under control of the beverage, under control of alcohol, right? You lose control. You yield up control to this substance who then gets you to do things that you didn't, wouldn't ordinarily do, right? Drunk people do a lot of stupid things. And that's one reason we shouldn't get drunk, right? Because we lose control. So he says, don't be drunk. Don't be under the, the influencing control of alcohol. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And this isn't the only place where drunkenness or, or wine is related to the Holy Spirit. So we see this in Luke 1.15 when, when they, uh, the angel talks to Zechariah about uh, John the Baptist. In Luke 1.15 he says, For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's that connection. He, he's not going to be getting drunk He's not going to be under the control of alcoholic beverage. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. We see this in Acts 2. I won't read that, but you all know the day of Pentecost. The Spirit comes. They're all filled with the Spirit. They begin speaking in tongues and all of this. And the people around them, what do they say? These people are drunk. They're, they're drunk. They, they've gotten into some new wine. And Peter stands up, and what does Peter say? Men of Israel, listen to me. These people that you are seeing, who are speaking in tongues and boldly proclaiming the, the truth of the gospel, these people are not drunk like you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. They'd have to be pretty bad off if they're already 
if they're already uh, drunk at this point of the day. This, Peter says, is, is the fulfillment of what Joel said, that God would pour out His Spirit on your sons and daughters and they would prophesy. They're not under the control of alcohol. They're under the control of the Spirit. He's controlling them. He's making them bold and He's supernaturally enabling them to speak in these languages which they had not learned. So that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. The third way that we know is just by the example. By the example. And you just think of Peter. The example of Peter. So I've already mentioned this, but Peter, when Jesus is being tried, what does Peter do? He's standing by the fire and this little girl, this young maid, three times. Finally, he's cursing at this girl and everybody else around there. And he's saying, I don't know the man, right? He's scared. That's who Peter is. But what happens? Acts 1.8, Jesus said, the Spirit of God's going to come upon you and He will empower you. And that's what happens then in Acts 2. The Spirit of God comes upon them and Peter begins to speak boldly and proclaim the Gospel to a crowd that doesn't want to hear it. And even when they're arrested and they say, they say, Peter and John, don't speak anymore in Jesus' name. What does Peter do? He says, look, you've got to figure out if that's right or wrong, but we're going to keep preaching. Where did that boldness come from? It didn't come from Peter. It came from the power of the Spirit of God in him. He was no longer under control of himself. He was yielded in, in his control over to the Spirit, and the Spirit was, was giving him divinely uh, divine power to be able to speak with, with boldness, courage that he did not have in his own condition. So that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So this is a command, isn't it? Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I take that command up to mean this then, right? There are things that we do to pursue being filled with the Spirit. What do we do? Paul doesn't tell us in this passage, okay, this is three steps to being filled with the Spirit. So that leads us to the point where we've got to kind of look around in the New Testament. What, what does He command us to do that, that might open us up, that might yield control of our heart and life and our mind to the Spirit? And I think there are several things. The first is this. If we want to be filled by the Spirit, to experience that kind of control that the Spirit has over us and be given that kind of boldness to proclaim God's truth, that kind of uh, gracious demeanor that the Spirit brings upon us. If we want to experience that, first of all, we need to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. The Bible teaches that as believers, our, our flesh has been defeated and yet it remains in us because we are, we are creatures. We are, we are still living on this earth. We have a sin nature. We have a sinful flesh, a sinful disposition within us. But now the Spirit of God resides within us as well. And so the, the life of the believer is this, putting to death those desires of your flesh and walking by the Spirit. Yielding to the Spirit, denying the flesh. That's what your life should be every day. You wake up this morning, you wake up tomorrow, you wake up every day this week, you need to be denying your sinful flesh and yielding yourself to the Spirit. You need to be walking by the Spirit and not by the flesh. So Paul says in Galatians 5.16, I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. That's what we need to, to do. Romans 8.12 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors 
not to the flesh. You, you don't, you're not a debtor to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We are to yield our life every day, every moment, every day that you're at work. We're to be yielding our life to the Spirit of God. He's directing us to move in a certain way. He's directing us to live in a certain way. He's directing us to think in a certain way, to act in a certain way, to speak in a certain way. And we need to be yielding to Him instead of doing what comes innate to us, our sinful desires. We need to walk by the Spirit and put to death the deeds of the flesh. If you want to be filled by the Spirit, I think that's number one. And number two, along with that, and I won't dig into this, but we're not to grieve. Vance preached Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed until the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. If you want to be filled by the Spirit, you can't be allowing actions and behaviors and thoughts and words into your life that are bringing grief to the Spirit of God. You're not going to experience being filled with the Spirit if you're doing that. Thirdly, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you should pray for the Spirit of God. Christian, do you pray for the Spirit of God? You ought to pray for the Spirit of God. Jesus says in, in Luke eleven nine, 9, to ask and it will be given, seek and, and you'll find, knock and it will be opened unto you. He says if, you're, if you who are fathers, you know how to give good gifts to your children, uh, how much more will the Father in heaven, will your Father in heaven give the Spirit to those who ask? That's Luke eleven thirteen. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? A part of your daily life should be praying, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need to be holy. I need to have peace. I need to have contentment. I need to have joy. I need to have gentleness. I need to have all of these fruits. Fill me with your spirit. I need to be bold. I should be witnessing. I should be sharing my faith with the people that, I, that I'm around. I should be sharing, spreading the gospel in this community. And I'm scared like a little chicken. I don't want to say anything because I know these people don't want to hear it and they don't want to talk about this. I need to be filled with your spirit that I might have boldness. You ought to be praying for that every day. Pray that the that God would give you uh, the Spirit, that He would fill you with His Holy Spirit. I pray that on a regular basis. I pay, pray that particularly on Sunday mornings as I'm standing up to preach because believe it or not, this isn't me, right? Believe it or not, this kind of boldness and this kind of declaration standing in front of a bunch of people and, and just being bold and straightforward is not my character. It's not my demeanor, but God has called me and I need the the filling of the Holy Spirit to be bold to preach the Word of God. But you have you have a responsibility. I'm not the only preacher in this church. You are all preachers. All of you who are followers of Christ, you're called to make disciples and to preach the Gospel. And so you need the, that kind of boldness. You ought to pray for it then. You think about, again, in the book of Acts, Peter and John went back after they had been released. They said, don't preach in Jesus' name anymore. And they're like, Sorry, not sorry, we're going to keep preaching in His name and you figure out on your end what you need to do, but we're going to preach His name. We can't help but, but preach what we've heard. 
And so they go back to those who are gathered in that upper room, the other Christians, and they tell them what's transpired. They tell them how they've been released and, and so on. This is what it says in Acts 4.31. This is what they did. And when they had prayed, uh, well, let me read verse 29. This is their prayer. They, they began to pray in the upper room. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Peter and John come back and say, hey, we've been arrested for preaching and healing in Jesus' name, and they want us to shut up. Maybe we should be quiet. No, let's, let's pray. And let's pray that God would give us the boldness we need to keep on preaching, even though it's probably going to mean a lot of us are arrested. Even though it's, it's certainly going to mean some persecution. Let's pray that God would embolden us to keep preaching the gospel. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. So they didn't pray for the Spirit. They just prayed, God, they arrested Peter and John. They told them to stop preaching. But Lord, would you just give us boldness in, in this kind of environment where they don't want to hear us speak in the name of Jesus? Would you, would you give us boldness to keep on preaching? And God answered that prayer. How did He answer it? He filled them with His Holy Spirit. We need to pray like that as well. God, we live in a culture that does not want to hear that abortion is murder, that does not want to hear a, a, a biblical sexual ethic laid out. We live in a, in a world that does not, need to, does, not, does not want to hear that Jesus is the only way of salvation. We live in a world that thinks that is stupid, that that is ridiculous, and that we should just keep our faith to ourselves, and you can worship your God at church however you want, but don't bring that into the schools. Don't bring that into your workplace. Don't bring that into the community. Let that be your personal, private belief. But that's not what we're commanded to do. We're commanded to speak with boldness. So we need to pray that the Spirit of God would fill us and give us that kind of boldness. You say, I can never do that. I can't speak like that. You're right, neither can I. That's why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we need to pray. We need to be saturated with the Word of God. I'll just say this. The Spirit of God fills us, and the Spirit of God always works through the Word of God. We, we don't need to divide up the Spirit and the Word as if they're opposed. The, the Spirit is the one who authored the Word of God, and the Spirit works through the Word of God. If you want to be filled with the Spirit of God, be filled with the Scripture. Be filled with the Word of Christ, as Colossians 3.16 says. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Do you notice there, that's Colossians is kind of a twin epistle to Ephesians. There's a lot of the same ideas there. But you notice in Colossians 3.16 that Paul just substitutes being filled with the Spirit to letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's, that's not because the two things are exactly the same. It's just that they go hand in hand. So if you want to be filled with the Spirit, be filled with God's Word and the Word of Christ. Fourthly, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, place yourself, put yourself in a place of need. Put yourself in a place of need. Look, the, God gives the Spirit to His people to empower them to live the Christian life and to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
If you're not striving to live for Christ, you're not going to feel the power of the Spirit of God. And if you're not boldly sharing your faith and proclaiming the truth of God's Word, you're not going to feel the, the, the power of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is not going to fill you so that you can binge watch Netflix. The, the Spirit of God is going to fill you that you might advance the kingdom of God, that you might share the gospel, and that you might live your faith out in an authentic way. So if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, put yourself in that kind of need. Christ, you've called me to live in this way, and I'm trying to live in this way. I want to be obedient. I don't want to give over to anger, but I need your help. I'm putting my effort in. I'm working. I want to follow you, but I can't do this on my own. Fill me with your spirit. God, I know that I'm to, I know that you're leading me to share the gospel with this person. They sit next to me or they stand next to me on the line every day. They're on the same shift. I know I should be sharing the gospel with that person, but I don't want to. I'm scared and I know they don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk about that. I could talk to them all day long about the Wildcats. I could argue with them about whether, who's better, the Hoosiers or the Wildcats. I could argue with them about the Patriots and the Steelers and the Bengals. I could talk about football. I could talk about hunting. But there's one thing that I can't talk about that I don't have boldness to talk about, and that's my faith. And it's the most important thing in this world. I need boldness. So empower me. We need to pray that the Spirit of God would empower us. We need, if we want to be filled with the Spirit, we need to place ourselves in a position of need and then wait for the Spirit of God to come. And He will. And He will. Let me say this as we wrap up. I think the greatest need, one of the greatest needs of the church today is the kind of power that the Spirit of God can bring. We need to be filled. We need to obey this command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we think about the advancement of God's kingdom and the building of His church. Those things will not be accomplished in our own power and in our own strength. I'm reminded of Zechariah 4.6. Zerubbabel was rebuilding the temple. And this is what the prophet Zechariah said to Zerubbabel. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This will be accomplished. It won't be by your strength. It won't be by your power. It will be by the Spirit of God. If we are to be effective in the ministry that we're given, it won't be by our might. It won't be by our wisdom and our scheming and our plans and our effort. It will be by the Spirit of God. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Pray. Lord, we, we come to you this morning and we do pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, we repent that we have neglected the work of the Spirit in our lives. We, we repent that, that we have not obeyed this command as we ought. I pray that right now this might be a turning point in the lives of many, that this might become a, a very real thing in their life, that they might know the power of your Spirit, that they might be filled and equipped to do the work of ministry by your Spirit. God, would many people in this church be filled to boldly proclaim your truth and to authentically live out their faith in a dark world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.